And I saw that, okay, my will hadn't been surrendered to the Lord because I was committing sin on a regular basis. The way I was living my life, the fruit of it was saying that I will do things my way and not God's way. Mm, which is pride. Which is pride. Yeah. yeah, I was raising my standards above the standards of the Bible. There is one truth in particular that has forever shaped the way we deal with men at Pure Life Ministries, and that is that a man's sexual addiction is merely the symptom of a much deeper problem. A toxic mixture of pride and self-centeredness has created a hothouse where every kind of sin can thrive. If transformation is ever to occur in that man's life, then his pride and his self-life must be dealt a death blow. That, my friends, explains why we here at Pure Life Ministries spend a lot of time talking about the self-life, because it is the root of sin. For professing Christians today, it's easy to remain unaware that the very root of sin is deeply embedded in the heart and to allow things to remain there that ought to be thoroughly rooted out. Thanks for joining us for our newest series on Purity for Life. Now before we get started, I want to explain what the self-life is, because having a basic understanding of this is crucial as you listen to the following episodes. The self-life is the very core of the sinful nature. It is the life, the attitudes, the desires, the thoughts, the goals, the ambitions, and the actions that flow from us. The self-life is what the Bible calls the flesh the irredeemable part of us that Jesus died to free us from and the part of us that is always trying to regain dominance over us. The self-life craves satisfaction for self. It fights to promote self. It strives to improve self. Some of the things that flow from the self-life are very obviously wicked, like adultery, murder, slander, rebellion, etc., but some aren't so obviously sinful. Think of things like self-determination, self-effort, self-righteousness, self-love. In this series, we'll take a long look at the self-life and the pride that flows from it. We'll look at the many faces of pride and ask the question, how do we repent of these wicked things? And we'll look at why humility and lowliness are so attractive to God. Today, we'll dive right into it with Pastor Steve Gallagher, author of the book, I, the Root of Sin Exposed. He'll give us a good launching point for how to approach the series and this topic as a whole. Pastor Steve, your book, I, the Root of Sin Exposed, centers around the self-life. And one of the claims that it makes is that every single sin and our struggle with it, you can trace it all right back to the self-life and pride that comes forth from it. And when we think of sin in that light, then that tells us that self is our greatest enemy. But that's not the impression that I get when I look at a lot of modern books that are aimed at helping Christians deal with issues in their lives. 
because they talk about things like self-help, self-improvement, self-esteem. So can we start off by having you explain why the message of your book stands in such sharp contrast to the message that most Christians are buying into? I think because um, the culture has made such inroads into the body of Christ, into the church. Uh, In particular, I'm referring to psychology, which has been like a Trojan's horse that has come into the church through the guise of helping people. Mm. But unfortunately, it has brought with it a lot of the uh, mindset and teachings and philosophies of the world, mm-hmm. you know, and of course, most Christian psychologists are good people just trying to help people, but they've been trained in this stuff. And so they have brought these these concepts into the church like self-help, like self-esteem. You need to love yourself before you can love others. That is so unbiblical, mm. but that's the kind of stuff that has come into the church. And really, my writings um, are based on things the church believed for centuries, and it's only been during the last 50 years that things have changed so dramatically. So Mm. it's not me that's out of whack, because I'm really in line with centuries of uh, godly men and their teachings. It's the new uh, concepts that have come into the church through psychology that really are out of step. Yeah, and I can also add a personal word to all of that. You know, I majored in psychology in secular school way back when. I did it because I knew I had all kinds of problems, but I didn't find any help in any of the teachings I was receiving. Nevertheless, in trying to get help from my own emotional issues and stuff, uh, I went to psychologists. I received no help from them. They were certainly caring, you know, but they didn't have any answers. And nothing changed until I really learned about repentance and turning away from um, self-centered living. That's when my life really started changing. Before we go any further, I don't want to assume that people have a solid definition of pride in their mind, and you've developed a definition of pride. So can you share that definition and also help us understand how you came to that? The definition I came up with is an exaggerated opinion of one's own importance and a selfish preoccupation with one's own rights. Mm -hmm. As I thought long and hard on the subject of pride, you know, what occurred to me is that pride typically takes one of two forms. Either that we want to exalt ourselves, think highly of ourselves. We want others to think highly of us. You know, we love to be praised. We love people to talk about how great we are and all that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And that just, that kind of positive pride just kind of puffs us up. Okay. On the negative side is protective pride where we you know, are going to lash out at others or be defensive or get in a fist fight or whatever. If anyone starts to say anything or um, do anything that demeans us, we feel like, or whatever. And then from out of that comes all kinds of sin and crime and, and everything. One of the things you mentioned in your book was that if you were going to 
do the topic of self-life and pride any justice, you really had to go back to the origins of those things to help explain how they developed. And what we know from scripture is that Satan was the first being to fall, and then he led man into that same fate. Now we're treading into some deep waters here because what we're talking about is a being rising up in pride against the most beautiful, lovely, good uh, being that has ever been conceived of, which is God. What would ever entice someone to do that? Well, let me start off with something that Ezekiel uh, said. Just look at it real quick. This is the Lord speaking. He said, speaking to Lucifer, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you by the abundance of your trade, which means interactions with others. Hmm. You were internally filled with violence. Hmm. Um, you know, we only get these little snippets about what was going on in heaven back then, but we do know that it was a perfect, pristine environment, like you say. I speculated in the second chapter of my book on how it came about mm -hmm. uh, that Lucifer was filled with pride and sin. And I could be wrong for sure, but just from what I can see and what I've learned in Scripture, it's certainly a possible scenario uh, that I came up with, which was that you know, Lucifer was the um, leading worship leader in heaven. And another angel came up to him innocently, you know, just like we do at Pure Life. We're always uh, complimenting each other and saying positive things about each other. And in this case, so this angel said, man, you did such an awesome job of uh, leading us into worship. And and, you know, you are so beautiful. Your voice is so beautiful. Uh -huh, uh -huh. The way you lead worship is so beautiful. It's just such a blessing to be led by someone like you. You know, mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And Lucifer had never even had a self-thought before. His only focus was always on the Lord up to that time. But th those words started just kind of sticking with him, and he started thinking on that and dwelling on what he was like. Mm, and mm. pretty soon, thoughts of himself outweighed thoughts of God. Mm. And the more he started thinking on himself, the more he liked that. Mm. You know, just like I said a minute ago, that self-exaltation, mm -hmm. and that just eventually overtook his entire inner being. And then once that happened to him, then he went around corrupting other angels and managed to get a third of them to follow him in his rebellion. So, you know, is that the way it happened? I don't know if it was exactly like that, but I suspect it was something along those lines. Mankind often makes the claim that we as a human race are advancing, especially when you look at the last hundred years, because we do see things like massive leaps forward in technological advancement and medical knowledge. But man also is saying that we are rapidly moving forward in terms of our moral state, our ethical state, our spiritual state even. But you seem to have a very different assessment of things that over the last hundred years, we have definitely been regressing 
not progressing. Can you explain why the difference there? Well, my perspective is thinking in terms of the eternal and thinking in terms of spiritual, not thinking in terms of temporal earth life. There are many ways that we have advanced that have been positive things like medical and so on. But the difference is that mankind, their gauge as to what improvement means is how much better things are for humans on this earth. Mm. The Lord thinks in terms of what is the betterment of people's souls. I would put it this way, that the godliest, most Christ-like people who have ever lived are those who have suffered most. Mm. And I'm sure that that is a fact. Those who have suffered the most are those who have become the most Christ-like. Why? Because... The self-life is not being fed and all of that. And that's what mankind wants to do. And their idea of improvement is, you know, we don't want any diseases to make Mm. us feel bad. If we do get injured, we want to get healed quickly so we don't have to suffer. Um, We want life to be comfortable. We want a lot of pleasure. We want to indulge our flesh. Mm. And so, you know, the more you indulge that kind of not necessarily selfish in a certain way, but the more you indulge the desire to be pleased and gratified, the more you're going to tend to become more selfish and more prideful. The less you do of that, the more you suffer and the less things, everything goes your way, the more the Lord is able to humble you and, and make you into a, a selfless person unselfish, willing to give of yourself to help other people. I'd like to talk a little bit about who you wrote this book for, because it's obviously a Christian book, but I know that you believe that there are two very distinct groups within the visible church. There are those who are truly saved, giving their all to follow Jesus, and then there are those who just basically go to church. They're insincere. Now, obviously, Every person has a self-life, regardless of whether or not they've been truly converted or not. So which group would you see this book as being most helpful for? Well, I would say that an insincere person wouldn't even pick up this book, wouldn't be interested in it because they're not really seeing a need to change. Mm. That's what the problem is. They're um, self-satisfied. They're okay with where they're at. They're just putting in their time, going to church on Sunday and, you know, kind of doing the Christian thing. So it's really only going to be someone who's hungry to really know the Lord, someone who's, you know, realizes there are things in their life, in their inward life that aren't as pleasing to the Lord, you know, as they should be. So the point of the book is to identify and clarify uh, in an um, organized fashion the different things within us that are unpleasing to the Lord. That's why I break uh, pride down into seven different types of pride, because not everyone has self-exalting pride. Maybe a a person who's, you know, boisterous by nature might Mm -hmm. have that, but maybe they're not defensive, Mm -hmm. you know? And so self-protective pride wouldn't be real big in that person's life. Okay. It's that kind of thing, you know, where I broke it down so 
the sincere believer who really wants the Lord to put his finger on the things in his heart, the attitudes, the motivations, all of that, that are not in line with um, the kingdom of the lowly one. Uh, that's who this book is written to so they can see what needs to change and repent to the Lord and invite the Lord to do his work inside their heart to humble them and make them more like Jesus. You ended the second chapter of your book in a pretty sober way, talking about hell, and that hell is the inevitable destination for every person who chooses to live in pride and self and refuses to repent. And I know that you believe in a eternal, literal, conscious torment, but you also described hell in an interesting way. You said that you believed that one of the most tormenting aspects of hell would be simply to be given over to the effect of pride. Why do you see that as being so tormenting? Well, I know what it was like in my own life to be full of pride. Forty years ago, when I was really in the midst of my sin and, and all of that, uh, was the most miserable time in my entire life. When I think about hell, the person in hell is now fully aware of the Lord's attempts to work in his life. He's fully aware of all the times he rejected God, all the times that he um, just gave over to indulging his passions and so on. He's just fully aware. After he's gone through judgment and has been sentenced to hell, he knows why he's there. And not only that, you know, on, on earth, we still have the influence of the Holy Spirit in this world, you know. Most people are still um, are influenced in positive ways by the Holy Spirit in believers and the Holy Spirit on the earth. That won't be the case in hell. There will be nothing there positive. It will only be uh, people who are going to live out eternity within their own being, which is a being that is completely now given over to corruption and all the despair and misery that goes with it. So going back to my own life 40 years ago, the more I gave over to sin— the more prideful and nasty I became inside. And I do believe that will be one of the torments that people will experience in hell. So then when we think about heaven, take the reverse of that, we'll be completely free from the influence of self and pride and the devil. And what a incredible experience that will be. Yeah, I mean... Can you imagine just interacting with all the saints up there? You know, you go and have coffee at the <laughs> Hotel Heaven or something. <laughs> yeah. And just inter the interactions and no walls up, no being concerned about what people think and the torments you go through, you know, mm -hmm. worrying about what people think or trying to make yourself look good. None of that. Can yeah. you imagine the peace, the inward freedom and the joy and just the lack of fears and concerns and worries. Yeah, I mean, that aspect alone in heaven. 
that every person is really a humble, loving person. Every person you interact with and, and see yeah. is is yeah. like Jesus in that way. Yeah. What an awesome way to live out eternity. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, and as you've said, I know many times before, now is the time to prepare for that life. And that's what this book really is for, to prepare us for that life. Yes, it's the it's the kingdom of the lowly one. And we do need to um, take on and emulate his life for ourselves. So we are prepared for his um, realm. Pride is a many-headed beast. We cut off one head only to discover three more in its place. And we'll fight this monster until our self-life dies once and for all, when our physical bodies die. That makes this series relevant for all believers, no matter where they are in their walk. But what about the man or woman struggling with sexual sin? What is the connection between freedom from sin and the death of the self-life and pride? Luke Imperato is a biblical counselor in our residential program, and I brought him into our studio to help explain why sexual sin specifically is a fruit of pride and the self-life. Luke, we've talked with Pastor Steve about his book, I, the Root of Sin Exposed, specifically about the self-life, what it is, and how it is the source of sin in our lives. And so what I want to do is I want to offer some more pointed teaching to men and women who may be listening because they want help with sexual sin. I want them to see how the truths in this book will greatly help them uncover the root of their sin issue. Pastor Mm -hmm. Steve wrote in the intro that a man's sexual addiction is merely the symptom of a much deeper problem, that a toxic mixture of pride and self-centeredness has created a hothouse where sin of every variety can thrive. So because you're one of our counselors, I was hoping that you could take a look at this subject from a counseling perspective. Most of the men who have come to us Mm -hmm. are coming out of the church. And I would guess that the vast majority of these men are aware. Mm -hmm. They are saying, okay, self-gratification, pornography, visiting prostitutes, these are sins. Mm -hmm. That's not the question for them. And they probably have all asked God to help them, to forgive them. They've read books, they've gone to seminars, and yet they're continuing to give themselves over to sexual sin. So then they come to Pure Life, Mm -hmm. and they're asking, what is my issue? And one of the things that we start to go after is pride. That can be really confusing to somebody. So I want you to help people understand what is the connection between pride and sexual sin. Sure. Thanks, Nate. The struggle that you're describing was like my story. When I came to Pure Life Ministries, I came from church, grew up in church, was involved in ministry and all of that. And I certainly was looking for the formula or the missing piece of the puzzle as to why was I struggling with sexual sin for so many years, even though I've tried all those things you mentioned. I tried the fasting. I tried reading the books. I tried, you know, crying out to the Lord, God, you know, take this from me. Yeah, yeah. And so, but I thought, okay, there's a piece of this, there's a formula really that I'm missing. So then you get here and um, 
like you say, what gets challenged is the self-life or pride. Uh-huh. And and I was like, well, this is an interesting approach. I've never looked at it this way before. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I think what it came down to is for me, I was making a lot of excuses for my sin, really blame shifting mm-hmm. or justifying mm-hmm. or in many ways minimizing, not taking personal responsibility for the sin that I was in. But if I'm not taking personal responsibility for my sin, then when someone comes at me and says, you know, you need to change the way you do something, you are willingly doing this sin. Yeah. <laughs> like there's no excuses. You need to take responsibility for the sin that you're committing. And then it's like, oh, so now it becomes a battle of my will. Mm. And I saw that, okay, my will hadn't been surrendered to the Lord because I was committing sin on a regular basis. Yeah. So then that now started to make sense. Oh, that's why they're getting after a self-life. That's their, why they're getting after a pride life because the way I was living my life, the fruit of it was saying that I will do things my way and not God's way. Mm, which is pride. Which is pride. Yeah. yeah. I was raising my standards above the standards of the Bible. And that's where it's like, okay— I began praying right off the bat, or early on, I should say, began praying, God, you need to break my will. Mm -hmm. You need to break my will because that is the problem here. It's Mm me. Mm -hmm. I'm doing these things. And it it just changed. It was a different way of approaching sexual sin. I'd never approached it that way before. Hmm. So let's zoom in on a specific kind of a guy that we encounter a lot. And it sounds like maybe you are in the same camp. Mm -hmm. They hate the consequences of their sin. Uh-huh. The the shame, the misery, uh, sometimes it's led to financial ruin, it's led to the ruin of their marriages, they don't like the guilty feelings, mm-hmm. but like you said, they're still holding on to the sin, actually, because they are willingly committing this over and over and over. Sure. So can you help us understand a little bit more how that kind of a mindset Mm-hmm. which holds on to sin but hates the consequences, is self-centered and proud. If you look at Christianity from a humanistic point of view and the purpose of serving God is to better please myself and better uh, fix my circumstances mm. and ultimately get me to heaven instead of hell, mm-hmm. it could really um, become a very selfish religion. Mm. So that's where the side effects of sexual sin, the shame, the embarrassment, the loss of money, just sometimes the inconvenience of it, um, it's messing with my personal life. It's messing with my family life. It's messing with my job, my income. And it's also if you go to church and you're a professing Christian, it doesn't look good on a resume. (laughs) Right. So it's messing with my Christian life too. But it's all surrounded by it's messing with your life. Yeah, right. And it's still like – Okay, but what about the testimony of Jesus or what about the name of Jesus? This has nothing to do with anything other than you trying to fix your life and the different areas that your sexual sin is affecting. It's just still selfish. Mm -hmm. Luke, let's make a clarification real quick here because I think some people get tripped up over this. The idea that a person could be calling out to God, crying out to God, and asking him, take this away, mm-hmm. free me from this, and yet their will is engaged in it in such a way that they don't really want to be free. Mm-hmm. How can that? 
How can that happen? Yeah, you've got to be brutally honest with yourself. Because when I was struggling with regularly viewing pornography, mm-hmm. after a bad night, I would cry out to the Lord and repentance to a degree, I guess you could yeah, say. But, kind you know, of repentance. But it was more of just the guilt that I was feeling was terrible and I didn't want to feel that again. So I would close my laptop that had unfiltered internet mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would put it down next to my bed and go to sleep. Mm-hmm. The next day... I would come home, whatever, and, you know, that evening I would take up my laptop with the unfiltered internet, put it right on my lap, and just, you know, start surfing the internet. Next thing you know, I was viewing porn again. Mm -hmm. And it was like, okay, I mean, on one hand, you're saying you want to be free, but when Jesus describes battling sexual immorality, he says, cut off your right arm, pluck out your right eye. Mm -hmm. He's talking radical maneuvers to, you know, really fight the sexual sin. Yeah, I, yeah. I I didn't I, I lied. I didn't get my computer out of my right, room. Right, right. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't do anything other than a cry for help when I was feeling guilty. Okay. I wasn't really fighting this thing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing everything in my power to, you know, uh, break free of this. You know, we do what we want. If you really wanted to break free of your sexual sin, you would do whatever it took to break free from it. I mean, mm-hmm. think of the amount of effort that we put into pursuing our lusts. We will hide and come up with long plans and work out every detail of how to hide our tracks and cover things and sneak behind and get what we want. I've traveled four, five, six hours to meet up with someone, you know, and insanity will do all of that effort to pursue our sin. Mm -hmm. But when we're trying to get free from sexual sin, if we don't get an answer from a five-minute prayer, Mm -hmm. then, you know, it's God's fault. Mm -hmm. Well, that's just not... (laughs) <laughs> That's just not truth. It's not reality. We have to be honest with ourselves. We are not really fighting. Yeah. One of the things that I've heard come from the pulpit, especially from Jordan Yoshimine, who's our a director of at-home programs, is he says that it is totally possible to go through one of our counseling programs and yet never deal with the self-life. You can do a great job on your homework. You can keep all the rules. You could even abstain from giving over to your sin for nine months. And yet, there's a danger that you're still not dealing with the root. Why do we say that? Yes, it's it's a good question, and it makes sense when you kind of think about it, because when I went to Pure Life Ministries to deal with my sexual sin, and I leave with my sexual sin gone— mission accomplished. Right. Like, okay. But it's it's a distraction technique kind of in a way because the real issue is the self-life. The real issue is, okay, the reason I was committing sexual immorality is because my sinful nature was in charge of my life. And the mm-hmm. fruit of that or the way it's manifested is sexual immorality. Right. I, I think... Paul helped me out with this a lot when he, in Galatians 5 when he talked about the fruit of the Spirit and then the works of the flesh. Uh-huh. And you have like this battling of these two forces. And the works of the flesh, sexual immorality is one of many mm. works of the flesh. It's mm. not the only work of the flesh. So you could take out sexual immorality from your life altogether and still have five or six other works of the flesh in full operation. And... It's still – it's not the fruit of the Spirit and, and Paul maps it out in that chapter of like, no, if, if you want to 
really be a follower of Jesus, then you need to nail, crucify, you know, that that sinful nature needs to be dealt a decisive blow so that the Holy Spirit could now take charge of that individual and then the fruit of the Spirit mm-hmm. is love and so on. You know, so that's where it's like the issue is when you just take away sexual sin, you don't deal with the deeper issue of why this person was living in sexual right. sin. You're staying too superficial. Yeah. And, this, okay, the person can just act out another way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I know that we've had guys who make it through the program, mm-hmm. but then when you really try to dig deeper when you try to ask them who's in charge of your life, who makes the decisions about what you do after the program, yeah. it's obvious they are still in charge. They're not going to be told what to do. Yeah. And then we know it's just a matter of time before they go back to sin. You know, Nate, it's it's interesting. We can get into this whole battle about the wills, and it just seems like it's, first of all, a very long battle. <laughs> it could even be our whole life, and we call it a walk of repentance. And it could just seem like, man, so all I'm doing for the rest of my life is crucifying my sinful nature and mm-hmm. woe is me. And, and okay, it might appear like that at first, but it is my personal testimony that, okay, once you really deal a death blow to your self-life and you really let the Lord take over and the Holy Spirit is now running your life, that is when you really begin to experience sometimes for the first time ever true joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of the fruits of the Spirit come from a life that is fully surrendered to the Lord and following the Holy Spirit's leading in every way. Because any good that we have, any good thing that we have comes from the Lord. So it is really, (laughs) that's my testimony. It's a praise report that we've got an awesome God when we surrender our life to him, he fills us with good things. A lot of our discussions in this series will tackle the details discussed in Steve Gallagher's book, I, the Root of Sin Exposed. If you listen to all the episodes in this series, you're going to hear some really good truths, and it may open your eyes to some things. But if you have some kind of habitual sin that you can't shake, You need more than a few podcast episodes. You need a deep work of grace in your soul, and that comes by pouring over the truth that God has revealed. I would encourage you to purchase this book and allow it to drive you deep into the Word of God. Allow it to drive you to prayer, asking God to root out every form of pride from your life and to set you free from every trace of it. It's going to take hard work to diligently put off pride and selfishness and to put on the humility of Christ. But the question is, how much do you want to be free? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like a copy of the book, I, the Root of Sin Exposed by Steve Gallagher, please visit store.purelifeministries.org. Don't forget to join us next week as Ed Book and Kathy Gallagher tackle this issue from another standpoint. That's all for today on Purity for Life. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. 
Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.